Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 57. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And a quick reminder to stay tuned to the end of the podcast for a new segment. Um, but this week we watched the 2005 movie Munich. So Charles, tell us about it. Okay, so Munich follows the incident at the 1972 Munich Olympic Games. 11, I believe it was 11 Israeli mm-hmm. athletes were taken hostage by a Palestinian terror group called Black September. And unfortunately, they were all killed. The main character, played by Eric Bana, is recruited on a secret mission to assassinate 11 Palestinians who were believed to have connections to terror event. So they spend the movie gathering intel, killing the people that they can find. But over the course of the movie, things get more and more harrowing. Uh, members of their team start to get killed off, and Eric Bana starts to doubt the mission and feel some amount of guilt and like paranoia. So he returns home to his wife and child and gives up on his mission. Yes. This was my pick. One of my favorite movies outright, I think. I absolutely love this movie. I think it's my favorite Spielberg. Probably. If not, it's like top three. It's the lowest box office. Is it? That yep. makes sense. It's like nearly three hours long and, you know, really faces kind of somber. Boycotts. What was that? It faces a few boycotts, too. Oh, that makes sense. I bet it did. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I did not boycott it. I saw it in the theaters. <laughs> I, did, I did as well, actually. Did you? Yep. Yeah. I was probably maybe a touch too young to grasp everything that was going on, but... Yeah, I still thought it was just an amazing piece of work. What do you think of, of Munich? I know we've, we've talked about it a few times, I think, on the show. I know we have talked about it off the show more than once, and now we're finally watching it, so how did it land? I uh, thought it was Charles? pretty great. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, um, very interesting message, very intense <clears throat> scenes. Yeah, it's a full yeah, package. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a tight movie. Like it, I, I had forgotten how long it was when I had picked it <laughs> this week. I, I looked it up on IMDb. I was like, oh, this is like nearly three hours long. I watched it in two settings. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. Like, there's constant movement. Like, things are move, happening all the time. It, it breaks up into little episodes pretty well. Like, as they move from you know, gathering information to killing the target to the denouement from that to gathering more information and so on and so on. So it it doesn't, to me at least, it doesn't feel like like a 240. It, it moves faster than that. It's mm-hmm. it's a tense 240. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, how'd you like it, Grassman? Uh, yeah, I've always liked this film. Okay. Uh, I liked it when I saw it in theaters. And Have you seen it since then? Or is this the first movie viewing since theaters? Uh, it's probably the first time I've seen it since theaters. It's not a movie I'm going to like sit down on a Sunday. Oh, really? like, <laughs> I've like, seen this watch. a few times at this point. This, yeah. I think this was like my fourth or fifth viewing. Huh. Um, and it is still just really good. I, I think it's a great film. Um, the, like early in assassinations are like very tense and like very well it, shot. Like, most of them are competently just, like action. It's, it's pretty tense throughout the whole movie. Yeah, Spielberg ever the, the top of his game. Just like an absolute masterclass in in filmmaking. Like every single one of them, um, individually and in relation to one another. Like in terms of how they fit into the larger narrative of what what these characters are experiencing, mm-hmm. but also just like as a set piece, mm-hmm. it's just masterfully ex- executed. Um, which one was your favorite? I know which one was what I thought was the best. My favorite, I mean, like, which one worked the best? It's dark. <laughs> I ask because I have an answer. So I can go first if you want. Um, I mean, I think the most interesting one is where they almost kill Eric Bana. 
Oh, that really in the hotel? Yeah, yeah. Really, okay, that one is really like good. knock the wall down. He like <clears throat> gets thrown, and then it's also the gariest moment in the movie. Yeah, by yeah. a long shot. Yeah, because uh, you have like the body like hanging from the the fan. The fan. God, yeah, that that is grim. Uh, but it works because of the setup, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, let, let's talk about that because like that's why all these scenes work is because he he does the the groundwork first. Yeah. So the context of the scene is they're killing this Arab guy who's the KGB connection for the Palestinians and he the way that they kill him is they put a bomb in his bed yeah so they've identified when he typically goes to bed the room that he's in Mm -hmm. and they manage to get in there first and rig it up with a bomb Banna takes the room next to him Banna's character's name is Avner which was not the real name of the person that he's based on right but Avner in the movie uh, takes a room next to him. They have a short chat, and then the guy uh, out on their balconies, mm-hmm. and then the guy goes to bed. And a minute or two later, is exploded. Right, um, but it knocks Banna's hotel room wall down, almost killing him. And it opens up the wall on the other side, almost killing this vacationing couple. Yeah, on a honeymoon. On a honeymoon. Yeah, they establish they're, they're Israeli, right? Yes. Yeah, one of them is Austrian, Israeli. Okay. Oh yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. And the other one was German or something. Uh, Swiss. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they established like they're this like loving couple, and they've been going at it all night, and the, that's like what the Eric Bana character and their target kind of bond over briefly at the on the balcony. Yeah. So he has like this moment of characterization for the guy that he is that is about to be assassinated. Yeah, and then so he walks through the now joined three rooms, which. <laughs> Are covered in the entrails of this guy. Yep, um, mm-hmm. and they help kind of like get the couple out. Right. Well, uh, and, she, and and they establish that she may be blinded. Yes. Right, and that they are at the very least injured, and Eric Bana is, also has some injuries of his own, um, and the the bomb was much larger than they expected. Yeah, but I think it's the first time in the movie where the stakes are much higher. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're kind of like a ragtag group before this and then they almost kill one of their own and almost kill these this couple and yeah, it's, 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 it stepped up like the power level of like what they were doing yeah it's the first time that one of them is put in danger yeah yeah like and it actually the harm comes to an individual on the team that's the first time they really screw up because they almost screw up on the kill before that they almost screw they up managed, every single one yes yeah too yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, here they actually screwed it up <laughs> right I mean they they don't get every target, and like they establish that, but they almost get none of them, right? Like, or yeah. they almost make something awful happen that's not worth it yeah. for every one of them. Yeah, I think kind of the point of the movie. Well, yeah, I think part of the point of the movie was that they're like, at the time, there's no like assassination school. This was just yeah. they were doing something new for the, the, the Israeli government. They yeah. were establishing this essentially the special forces or the covert forces for the Israeli military. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, you get this sense that like at the beginning of the movie, Eric Bana like says to his wife that there's nothing to worry about. He just sits at a desk all day, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he's meeting with Golda Meir and these all these generals. Like he's literally just kind of picked out of a crowd as the guy to do it. Like partially because his dad was some sort of war hero, mm-hmm. and partially because there aren't that many options. No, he had also been a bodyguard for Golda Meir, right? So she knew yeah. him. Yeah, not, war hero yeah. is not the right term, but that he, he has a lineage. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, but you get the sense that he 
A, literally doesn't know what he's getting into because the mission is not described to him before he accepts it, and that he doesn't know what he's getting into in the sense that he doesn't know what this will be to and what it, what it will actually entail, and neither do the people that are asking him to do it. Um, it's blind leading the blind. Um, what are your favorite assassinations? Oh, the first one. The, no, no, the second. I'm sorry, the second one with the little girl that answers the phone. Like that was. That's probably that, the most intense. One. That, that been, was gripping. Yeah. That yes. would have been my answer as well. For <laughs> yeah. Sure. Oh my like, god. <laughs> I mean, I I was immediately drawn in by it when uh, the bomb expert is scoping out the apartment mm -hmm. and the little girl comes in and starts playing piano. Yeah. Like, the whole point of the entire movie like hit me at that point. Yeah. It, it's not subtle. But, like, I thought it was very effective. Yeah, Spielberg um, is not a subtle director. Because just this, like, you know, cute girl who just wants to play piano and live out her life is mm -hmm. in danger. And her father's going to die. And, you know, it's the kind of pain that all this revenge causes, right? And so that all hit me all at once right there and, like, brought up a lot of emotions there. And then, of course, there's the whole bombing scene where she... I mean, like, it felt almost a little cheap that they brought her to the right. phone and almost blow her up. Um, but it was so intense. Yeah, it, it totally works. And like you know that, that Spielberg's not going to blow up this little girl, right? But you don't really know, <laughs> right? Like you're not exactly this sure. This movie's pretty dark, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. And it just like, and, and the way that he, he frames it and constructs that scene, because you have to be pretty precise about what is actually happening, the actual sequence of events, to, so the audience understands what's at stake here. And he just nails it. And like where they're all positioned on the street and when she's getting in and what the uh, Karen Hines character can see and what he can't see it's all just so well executed yeah and yep. having the moving truck to yep. to block the car just mm -hmm. to raise the tension yeah yep. so many good elements yeah and just like the reaction of the bomb maker when he calls or no, no who, who's the one that calls on the phone and hears her um, it's not the bomb maker. I it's Kieran. It is Kieran. Because he's yeah. also watching the... Right, that was it. Because he didn't see them go in and he's supposed to be the one watching, but... He, yeah. yeah. Kieran Hines being the actor who plays Carl. Who plays Carl, yes. Yes. Um, so to me, that's just... That is Shakespeare... Or Shakespeare, <laughs> maybe. Uh, Spielberg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just at, at the tip top of his game. Like, there are few directors that can make that look as easy as he made it. Um, and that's, that is all him. That's something I admire about Spielberg's <clears throat> movies. I mean, first of all, he's great at doing these like intense mm -hmm. action scenes and building up tension and all that. We've talked about it in like the Indiana Jones yep. episode. And Jaws and Jaws. This is our third yeah, Spielberg movie, I think. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like his movies always have that element of heart to them. Yes. Like he's great at making us care about the characters, which is something that so many movies lack. Uh, he does so much with so little. Like he makes us care about this... Um, like wealthy looking Palestinian guy that they're about to blow up because they just have a little girl come and play piano. Yeah. But they all he also like has his care about the members of the team who normally they could just be villains. They could just be there. But they all build up little bits of character that make you kind of care about them and their struggles. Yeah. He, uh, he understands what a movie needs to get an audience invested and he understands how to get to that point efficiently. Yeah. That's just it. Like it, it, he's just it's strange to talk about a nearly three-hour movie as an efficient movie, but when you think of just the, <laughs> the depth of information that is conveyed to us here, both in terms of the actual events that are happening, which are complicated and numerous, but also the complexity of the politics and the emotions and the arcs of these characters, especially Eric Bana, like, he gets a lot to us in really small spaces. And that is just good, efficient storytelling that is not easy to pull off. How, so how many how many directors do it poorly? 
shows us how difficult it is to do what he's doing here. Um, speaking of which, let's talk about uh, Eric Bana, because I think he is phenomenal in this movie. I can't think of him in another movie being great. Me neither. Uh, well, uh, he's he, usually terrible. Well, he's not, <laughs> he hasn't picked a movie as good as me in it, which is not, hard, or not yeah. easy to do, because this is a phenomenal movie. But he, I don't think he's found a role as good. He hasn't, he, he I was, don't remember what I've seen him in besides the new Star Trek movie, <laughs> which was, was yeah, unfortunate. That's right. No, the was in the new Star Trek movie. He was the main bad guy in the first Star Trek reboot movie. Like is the, he? the um, what was the race in that one? I, they're like, I forget already, but he, he's the main bad guy. Duncans? No. <laughs> <laughs> he's the main bad guy in the first remade Star Trek. Okay. Um, yeah. He, he's a got a bunch though. of like makeup on his face. And I'm double checking. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would even believe you. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Keep going. I, I I don't remember that, but I do remember liking that movie. Um, I believe you. Right, but I thought him as a villain was pretty poor yeah, okay. and like a little overacted, and Bummer. his lines weren't written that well. Um, yeah. He was in a movie called uh, Funny People. I don't know if anyone is that the Adam Sandler one that was like super depressing. Yeah, Adam Sandler's in it, and some other. It's a Judd Apatow movie. Uh, not it. it not that many people saw it, but I did, and I remember liking it, and I remember him being good in it. Like, he okay. he plays like this... You're right. He was Nero in Star Trek. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he was Nero? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he plays like this uh, comedian that kind of sold out and moved to the suburbs, and it's a it's a comedic role, and so it was strange to see him in that after Munich. Um, he also plays uh, Banner in one of the numerous oh, right. movies. <laughs> yeah, the Eric, angry one. Eric Banner. Yep. Uh, one of the many Bruce Banner, uh, Eric Banner. Well, oh, Eric Banner. got it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this movie, in Munich, I think he absolutely nails it. He knocks it out yeah. of the park here. Just a, a phenomenal performance front to back. So he was Hulk in one of the Hulk movies. Right. That was terrible. Um, <laughs> he was also in Troy, which is a good movie, but he's Hector in it and he sucked. Uh, <laughs> like, his character was really boring. Oh, uh, I don't remember his role. He was in Black Hawk Down. I don't remember him in Black Hawk Down. Well, everybody but, was in that movie. And yeah. they were purposefully made to look anonymous in that movie. Yeah. And that's like it. He's in a bunch of like bad recent movies. but Didn't he have a sketch show early in his career? Uh, maybe. Which makes me think that he has a comedy background. Uh, which Full uh, Frontal. No, no, that's the Samantha Bee show. Because <laughs> he was on that. No, there was another show called Full Frontal, apparently, in the 90s. Oh. Nice. All right. He was only a guest on it. Oh, okay. I'm about to, maybe I'm thinking. Eric Bana sketch show. There it is. Okay. Nine <laughs> episodes. Yeah. That is a thing. He was various what a, characters. What a creative name. Yeah. Um, so that makes me think that he has a comedy background. And funny people also makes me think that because he was actually funny in that movie. Hmm. Uh, this movie's not funny, and he is certainly <laughs> he is not funny in it. Charles, uh, what do you think of their, uh, uh, Banner here? Um, I specifically remember one moment that I thought was really powerful is when he's on the phone with his wife and he hears his daughter. Oh God, yeah, speak for the first time, and mm-hmm. he just immediately like breaks into tears. And totally, I that was a very it. powerful moment. Yeah, that's a gut punch. Yeah, that one. Worked. And that was like yeah. right after he turns down the the honeypot at the bar that ends up killing Carl. Mm-hmm. And he calls up his wife, and yeah, you're right. That moment was really strong. Um, what I noticed on this viewing that I hadn't picked up on him, uh, or I hadn't picked up on is clearly in prior viewings, is how much they age him over the course of the movie. Because mm. uh, I think if you look at him during the initial conversation with Golda Meir, he's clean shaven, 
very perky, bright face. He looks like a boy. Like I think, yeah. and I think that he's intentionally shot to look a little bit smaller and substantially younger. Yeah. And throughout the course of the film, you see him gradually grow out his facial hair, right, so that he has more stubble, is aged a little bit, and you just see him, his eyes deaden, and he looks a lot more. Looks like he's lost weight his face looks thinner and just until the end of the movie where he looks like a, a refugee and that i noticed a lot more just the transition his physical transition from early in the film till, till the end of the film where he just looks soulless yeah it looks like they told him to stay up all night before yeah. they shot the like the last yeah, which did happen <laughs> like, right the fifth of the movie or something <clears throat> yeah that's the other yeah. like this is a movie filled with memorable scenes for me anyway and one of the most is the one where he does stay up all night where he ends up sleeping in the closet. In the closet. I, I forget if it's... Um, I might have missed it, but isn't there someone who kind of says earlier in the yes. movie that they're... Yeah, they bring it They up. establish that. Because they, they say that, like, if you keep doing this job, it's They gonna, found, like, spies in the closet. And, no, no, no. no. They, they're talking about bombing the guy with the bed bomb. Yeah. And then they had this story about an agent <clears throat> who was so paranoid that he slept in the closet. So they're like, what if this guy sleeps in the closet? Oh, they weren't screwed. Yeah. Right. And then that's that's what Ben ends up doing. Is right. Because yeah. he, he, before that is when he flips his bed open, he tears apart his mattress, yes. he's looking through. Yeah. He, he walks through every single bomb and trap that they set in his yeah. own room. So he tears his TV apart, he opens his up phone. his phone, he opens up his bed, he doesn't find anything, he still sleeps in the closet. So he he's very literally haunted by every single execution that they that that they uh, participated in. Yeah, that was powerful. Yeah, that was a really great scene. And then it's intercut with the toy maker, bomb maker, uh, accidentally on purpose blowing himself up at the at his cottage. That was a bit of a strange scene. Like, I think they depicted him dismantling <laughs> some bombs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was dismantling all of his traps. Yeah. It's like, why did he... He just had a bunch of bombs lying around and decided to take them apart and one of them blew up? Like, is that what Maybe. the story is? I, I think that's... One way to read it, right? I think the other way to read it is that he killed himself, mm -hmm. right? Is that he was doing whatever he can to dismantle and make, you know, forgive, seek forgiveness for his sins, and then, and then killed himself on purpose. Because um, right, right prior to that is when they he he taps out and he says that he's not going to participate in the assassination of the Dutch woman that killed Carl. Um, that's and that's the last time they talked to him. Mm -hmm. Right is when he. What did he say there? Because I don't remember the dialogue exchange there for him tapping out. Oh, just that he doesn't want to do this anymore. Okay. Right? The, the cost is too yeah. high. Revenge isn't worth it. Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. You know the, the themes of the film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, they seem to all slowly come to that conclusion. Yes, yes. And if they survived, they did. No, we yeah. don't know if Daniel Craig's character ever did. That's true. Well, he eventually becomes James Bond, so apparently he did yeah. not. <laughs> Do you think they hired him off this movie? I, I think this helped. I didn't realize yeah. he was in this one, actually. Yeah. Because yeah, I always hear about what he was, was not it, as Layer big Cake at the that time. he was in. Yeah, he was in that. That's the one I hear about him being in before this movie. I haven't seen that one, but yeah, I mean, this, before Bond, not before this yeah, movie. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, because yeah, this was 2005. Casino Royale came out not that long after this. Yeah, I think like right after. Yeah, it might have been 2006 even. Or seven. Yeah, yeah um, which yeah. is a great movie. I love Casino Royale. Yeah, that's it's, my favorite Bond movie outright. I think mm -hmm. uh, that's aggressive, but he's, <laughs> it is a good Bond movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's his best. Oh, not not close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I think this probably went a long way towards him getting that job. Um, and they he's kind, kind of, of playing that role. Yeah, well, I th yeah, he's more 
passionate here. Like, I don't see James Bond yeah. as, like, a passionate character, yeah. especially his portrayal of James Bond. And this guy, like, cares about the cause, right? Violently cares about the cause in a way that the, the rest of them don't. He's, if there's anyone that's not questioning what they're doing, it's it's him. He sees it as, he, he like, he has a line where he, he cares about Jewish blood more than anything. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's important to have that perspective in this movie, I think. He's also the one that like says he's willing to like go guns blazing. Yeah. Like Yeah. And so it's like he, he doesn't have any qualms about going and killing this lady kinda off the books. Right? Like he he is most explicitly there to assuage his own rage. Yeah. I think. Um Yeah, I, I think get, the last we see of him was when they fail for the last time to kill the Salame guy. Yep. And they run away, right? And then you just never see him again in the movie, I don't think. Yeah. So he never, like, you know, quits. That's the, he might he, still be out there. Right. And I think part. Of, I think that's part of the suggestion. I think that's important. I think it's also that Eric Banner just doesn't care anymore. Like, he doesn't want to be around this dude. Mm-hmm. Right. And he doesn't want to be around that life anymore. So he just... Because yeah, I think they were the only away. two left. Yes, they were. Because the older guy, whose name I don't remember... Hans, uh, was it? Yes. Um, he got stabbed in the park by somebody... Right, and they somebody got him. Somebody got him. And Carl got killed by the Dutch and woman. Carl got killed by the Dutch woman, and the toy maker probably killed himself, mm-hmm. or was accidentally killed. Um, That's yeah. yeah, that wasn't clear. There were like three implications to that scene: that either someone killed him, right. he killed himself, or it was accidental. Right, and it's, they just don't resolve it's in, it. Intentionally you know? ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know Eric Bannon never knows either, and that—that's kind of the point: is that they. He he gradually realizes just how much he doesn't know. Like he spends so much of this movie acquiring intelligence, and like as he acquires more, like there's more stuff for him to just not understand and never understand. And that's what ends up tormenting him. He doesn't know if his room is bugged. He doesn't know if there's a bomb under his bed. He doesn't know if somebody's coming after his wife, mm-hmm. right? And like that's what is driving him mad. Um, it feels like. I think that's what's inter- interesting about the Carl character in the film because he's from the beginning questioning the project but he's mm-hmm. still down for it like yes but he yes. more than anybody questions like what they're doing like do yeah. we do we know that these people are actually connected to the munich plot do like are they bad are we just murdering people mm-hmm. is this plan gonna work like is this is there it seems wrong? like they never really resolved that like no. there's some implication that some of them were not involved in the the munich attack. the guy in france particularly yeah, the one that whose daughter they almost kill their their implications that he's like not involved in anything like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah like he he's just like a Palestinian activist like mm-hmm. in France and living in exile so yeah which is how many Palestinian activists are, are painted right as terrorists as as people who just want to eliminate the Jewish people from from the planet which is obviously not true at all um, so yeah you're you're right that constant ambiguity and of course the the guy that's pointing out that ambiguity, ambiguity most earnestly is the first to die. Uh, the poet? No, no, I mean the guy the yeah. on the team that is pointing out the ambiguity oh, yeah. is the first one to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Who's uh, the the first target that they have is this poet mm-hmm. who uh, I forget his name, but he had recently translated Arabian, Ara- Night. Arabian Nights into French or yes. or Italian. Italian. Yeah, yeah, Italian. Italian. Yeah, or Italy, then France. And then they make it clear that this guy is like kind of broke. And so it's like who who's this guy? It's just some random guy that they're like <laughs> Killing, yeah, yeah. Like he might have some like tangential connection to the actual <clears throat> plot, but they might yeah. not. And especially yeah. since they go so far out of their way to establish that they don't have great intelligence, right? Yeah. Like they walk into this 
with literally just a list of names that somebody handed to them. Who knows where they came from? Yeah. They're getting their intelligence from dude on the street that they just met. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, they that they can't vet through any kind of intelligence service. Because right? it's a secret. Because it's a secret. Right. And, and like that guy got some interesting moments too, right? The, uh, the translator poet character. Because um, he, he's talking about Scheherazade and Arabian Nights and he has a line where he says that it teaches them the power of, uh, it teaches them narrative as survival, right? Like that's what, <laughs> that's what uh, Arabian Nights is about because it literally is, right? Like that this woman is telling a story every night and if she doesn't have a new story, the, the yeah. sultan or whoever kills her. Um, and that is so much the Jewish story, right? That they're, they're, they have constant stories of survival going back to Moses and earlier. Um, so that's what the, um, the story with the candles um, is all about survival. Hanukkah. Hanukkah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, and then up to and through the Holocaust, obviously. Um, many stories of survival come from that. And yeah. it, I think you you that's the first, or one of the first of many parallels that Spielberg is drawing between what the Palestinians are experiencing and desiring and what Jewish people have and continue to experience and desire. And there, there's these little lines and explicit mm -hmm. speeches throughout the movie that that draw this together um, and that's one of the first ones yeah yeah uh, for instance like the movie opens with the terrorists if you want to call them terrorists the PLO Black September folks breaking into the uh, Olympic Village and the first thing they encounter is a gate and they can't figure out how to get over the gate right like <laughs> these are not guys that have thought clearly haven't put together a very nuanced plan, mm -hmm. right? Like they have a bag of guns, a handful of targets, and that's basically it, right? Like they they don't have a strategy for how they're going to capture all these people as, evident, as evidenced by the chaotic nature of the actual in, home invasion. They can't get over the stupid fence, like the most predictable problem that you would expect in this type of situation, much like our heroes here, right? Like they are just placed in the field and say, with a list of names and some money and say, go and get these guys. Over and over again, I think you see parallels. A, a lot of money too. Yes. They're, <laughs> they're yes. giving a ridiculous amount of money. This is early 70s. Uh, they established at some point in the movie that they spent over $2 million. To kill six people. To kill six people. And, yeah. you know. We can do the inflation. Maybe a, maybe a couple uh, innocents I'm always well. interested in the inflation. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, even... In today's money, it seemed very expensive. Yeah, two million is still a lot of dollars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's and see, inflation calculator. Um, while I'm looking this up, one thing that really struck me that I don't think struck me when I first saw this, which is funny because it's closer. Um, but this is a very like 2001 terrorist attack reaction. It seems like okay. Um, there's a lot of like parallels. I mean, they have Where, the little bit at the end that makes that a little more clear, right? Yeah, they have because the, the, twin the towers. last shot is yeah. of the twin towers, which they've consciously CGI'd back into New York. Yeah, yeah. Or this is what like a two thousand six or five movie. Yeah. Yeah. So they aside, I thought it was funny that they showed some of the New York skyline with the new buildings still there, even though it's supposed to be in the seventies. But yeah. they put the World Trade Center buildings back because I like, recognized my office building, which was built <laughs> in like two thousand four. Okay. <laughs> But anyway, okay, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I always, I always find <laughs> the anachronisms amusing. Uh, um, yeah, it just struck me as like a very like post September 11th movie, but a much more nuanced movie than the one came out after 
or most like things that came out in the time period. Yeah. Um, where the movie kind of points to like the issues with nationalism, the issues with like the immediate very angry reaction. Mm-hmm. I remember that like very viscerally in 2001 where it was like mm-hmm. everybody was just like super pissed off about yeah, what had happened. Very, yeah, this and, is a post 9 11. And like no matter your politics, like you, like everyone was like super reactionary for, you know, a year or two. <laughs> and I think what this movie does a good job pointing out is like if this like the immediate reaction is a very angry one because they call this like cabinet level meeting with Golda and like her generals and there's one guy in the meeting who's like should we really this seems like a bad idea but like we shouldn't do this Mm -hmm. like we'll just create more terrorists I think Um, and the other generals are like like what are you talking about and even Golda in my ears like norm like she's like she says that i'm acting in anger and we're going to do this yeah she calls them i'm animal. paraphrasing a lot yeah she calls yeah. them animals and she calls yeah. them barbarians yeah right? like she, she is constantly not constantly but regularly using this dehumanizing language yeah to describe yeah, her enemies okay so yeah. 200,000 in 1973 would be 1.15 million Okay, and that's what they got like per you know, two hundred thousand is what they got per unit per just for the info. Yeah, never yeah, mind per, like the overall hand. like costs, right? Which are also gargantuan. So, so the, that French family, their info connect is like <laughs> rolling in it. Yeah, well, they showed and, it too. Yeah. yeah, and they say he's he's made millions off of this information. Right. And millions in nineteen seventy four uh, or whatever yeah. would be probably hundreds of millions today. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to the September 11th thing, um, the the movie kind of like seems to parallel like the U.S.'s reaction yes. to the September 11th attacks, where there's all these CIA things, and then we invaded Iraq. Obviously, like we we know all this, but like their reaction is exactly the same reaction that we had after 2001, and here we are. You know, 15, 16 years later. Still reacting. Yeah, so reacting, yeah. and it's the whole quagmire and waste of money. Mm-hmm. And, like, we haven't really solved anything. And I think that's kind of the conclusion of the movie is that, like, no matter your kind of politics, like, this didn't solve it's anything. It yeah, it didn't, it didn't do the right thing. So, like, yeah. no matter how you feel about Israel or Palestine, this was a total waste of money and time. Yeah, and, and lives. And lives, yeah. And sanity. And, yeah. 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 And I think that, I mean, that's the interesting point. It's like, because like you pointed out earlier, is that this yeah. movie was protested as pro-Palestinian. And in the sense that it's not explicitly condoning every action that Israel takes, I guess it's pro-Palestinian, in the sense that it acknowledges <laughs> that Palestinian people are people. It's pro-Palestinian. Yeah. Um, it still doesn't but, depict the Palestinians great. Um, right. But, the, but there were, like, real Palestinian terrorists, and that's who they're depicting. Yes. Um, but, and he, and he, but he, they, like we pointed out, he makes an, Spielberg makes an effort to humanize many of them. Right? Yeah. He, has the, he has the father with her daughter. He has this guy who's just a poet. This guy who's, you know, able to have a few wisecracks with uh, their band of characters. That's true. A lot of the yeah. Palestinians we see, though, like, the Palestinians that they kind of, that they're... What am I trying to say? The like the Munich crew and so, sort of the Palestinians they run into are like a lot of like young like very angry yeah. men mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that that was that was interesting. I'm not sure what to do with that, but that like depiction of the Palestinians. We really the characters in the film are mostly like male and young, yeah. and except for these like few intellectuals that they're like knocking off. Who, yeah, like, well, and the like the intelli- like the Jeffrey Rush character. 
yeah. and, and people like that. Well, I, I think that you see that most starkly when um, the French dude that they is their contact, Louis, yeah. um, sets up the the safe house in Greece. Yeah, and, and they and, run into and like books another assassination <laughs> crew. Yeah. A PLO assassin. PLO, yeah. Right. And I. That seemed a little strange to me. Like, yeah. How could they bungle that one up that badly? Because they. Well, maybe they did just bungle it up and there's all sorts of mistakes throughout this movie. Or. Maybe they did it. He did it on purpose. Yeah. Right. To fuck with them or to. Because they lied. They lied about something or other. It was giving them. They were giving them a hard time. Well, and also Louis says that, you know, he's nonpartisan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was after they did the. uh, What was it? There was something. I'm, I'm forgetting the plotting, exactly the plotting of this movie. But yeah, there's a lot that happens. There's in this a lot. Movie. That it's hard to remember the order. But the point is that they ended up in the same space at the yeah. same time, and which is a very obvious metaphor, right? Like that you have <laughs> Israel, the Israel and Palestine looking for a safe space to sleep, and that it and and that's all they want. And they end right? up in the same space, and they end up in the same space. Yeah. Explicitly, what is going on, on on the geopolitical level? Yeah, and they just come to an agreement that yeah, there's plenty of space here for both of us, and and we can. Just agree to not kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. isn't that what happens? And, <laughs> and, and that it, it is resolved, you know, within a matter of a few minutes. And they find, like, and there's the scene where Daniel Craig and, you know, unnamed PLO soldier. And they're able to agree over the song. Yeah. And yeah. What, what's the song? It's like they, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Let's yeah. stay together. Yeah. That's the song they agree on. Is yeah. Let's stay together. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's <laughs> over and over again. They're like, they're. Like I don't know if this is Spielberg advocating a two-state solution or what, but like that scene I think is really critical. No, that's a one-state solution. That's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, uh... yeah, that's one state. Um, <laughs> Just everybody hold hands. And, and that's when yeah yeah that that's when the uh, one PLO character gets uh, has that conversation with Eric Bana. He explains that while they're looking for us a home and what they what they need is uh, a, a nation and a place which is really very similar to what sounds like something the Daniel Craig character would say. sounds like something that any number of uh, Jewish people after or before uh, Israel was founded would say. I don't think Spielberg lands on either side there, right? It feels to me like he's saying that the the answer is not nations, Mm -hmm. right? Like that if, if while you're looking for is a place where you can be with people just like you, that is going to lead to conflict. That is going. That is not a, a real yeah. solution in the modern sense, which makes it an anti-fascist position, anti-nationalist position, and really pretty progressive. Yeah, I think I, I think that's the solution that he kind of runs throughout the film. That yeah. na- nationality is bad, right, which is really radical, yeah. right? To, 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 to suggest that's what, something that's post- that's what Bana ends up doing, right? Yeah. He, he casts away his nationality and goes to the U.S. as a refugee. Yeah, post-nation. Yeah. That's that's what he seems to be putting forward yeah. in, in this movie at many points. Um, which I think brings us to another one of the big metaphors in this movie is the use of food. Uh, there's a lot of food in this movie. Um, I mean, Charles and I were talking to a, a mutual friend, um, and we mentioned that we were doing this movie, and he said that he couldn't watch it because he, or he always gets hungry when he watches it yeah. because, of, because of all the food in it, which I hadn't thought of before, but I watched it this time around. That, and the, the use of food is really interesting. Yeah, the, the way that they introduced the French yep, patriarch shopping. guy. Oh, the patriarch, yes. Cooking, um, and he's cooking. That that is like one of the best Spielberg characters because he's just in the kitchen. He's yep. cutting vegetables. Big dumb butcher's hands. He's seen as like yeah. The way that he introduces himself is great. Yeah, and then it turns out he's like this very menacing like information dealer. Yeah, 
Um, but at the same time, he's like this grandfather, and I mean, he's, yeah, he's he very like pious, a little like, too friendly to be that menacing. Yeah, he, he's like a Don Corleone type character. That's clearly the inspiration there. I think. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting him to start plucking oranges off the. Yeah, the I, I, I find it more menacing because he seems friendly, but you know what this person is capable of. Yeah, that's true. It, that's like scary to the point where like Louis, who's been there, connect. We find out that he's he's just like a front to this guy somewhere in the French countryside in the mm-hmm. suburbs of Paris. Mm-hmm. And so you see the power of this character in, in so many different ways. Well, and, and I think it's interesting yeah. like how those those uh, scenes are framed, right? Because before that, in so many, so many of the shots in this movie are taking place in relatively small rooms mm-hmm. that are packed full of people. You know, there's like there's stuff everywhere. Urban landscapes, right? A lot of yeah, urban landscapes. And here we have a countryside, wide open room, lots of natural light coming in. Still a lot of people around, but they have plenty of space. Lots of children. It's like the only time you see children. The only time you see children in the movie. Yes, good spot. And you see all of this, like just people able to stretch out. And he Spielberg positions characters that way when they're in this non-nation context, right? Because over and over again, you hear Louis saying, we don't work with governments. We're not working for a specific, we're not working for the French intelligence. We're not working for CIA. We're not working for MI6. And these people that are living in this open area that has literal space everywhere are the non-nationalists, the the specifically Mm anti-nationalists, which I think is very, very important, right? That that, Mm -hmm. that's who gets all this this area and this space. And meanwhile, the people that are... I'm sorry, go ahead. The backstory to this character is important, too, that he says that he had been working in in World War II and he had had been an intelligence person who was hunting Nazis in bitchy French. Yes. Who had supported the Nazis. And so it's like this character, like, learned the lesson from World Mm -hmm. War II. That, Mm -hmm. like, nationalism is bad, that support of fascism is bad. Yes. Yeah, that it's... It, it, it's beyond just the violence yeah. of the Nazis. It's not. Yeah. It's not that the Nazis were violent, although yeah. they were. That's not what was fundamentally wrong right. with them. What was fundamentally wrong with them was that they were fascists. They were, they yeah. were fascists yeah. and national. His moral character is still very questionable, but yeah, yeah. But he makes that right call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. His his politics are interesting, right? And yeah. I, I think you see the characters that are much more invested in their nationalism, like the our, our Eric Bana and company always in enclosed spaces, right? And I think that that contrast is, is really important. And that that this is, again, where we see the, the metaphor of food as family, I think, and food mm-hmm. as, as something that's used to invite people in, where he, the our French, uh, although he probably might bristle at that, uh, the, the French patriarch character is inviting Eric Bana in, offering, preparing food for him, offering for him to prepare food, serving him a meal, whereas the meals that are served, that Eric Bana serves, are only served for his crew, right? Mm-hmm. And and, and he, you never see him sharing food with anybody else. Um, and I think that, that that use of food is really important, right? And at, at the end of the movie, we see Eric Bana make a gigantic meal that only he eats, right? He eats alone. Everybody else on his team is dead or not hungry right then. I think that's really important that he has isolated himself even from the people around him. Um, and that that symbolism, I think, is critical. I didn't uh, think about that, but there's a further connection to that because at the very end, the Israeli intelligence guy visits mm-hmm. in New York, and um, Bana offers him to come over and have a meal, but the intelligence guy rejects his offer. Yeah, yeah, he says, "Come break bread with me," 
And he says no. And that's the last, that's the last line of the movie. That's, that's how the movie ends, essentially. <laughs> and I think that's really important, is that it's about... And they play U2's Hand the Hands of Built America. <laughs> I thought that I'd do... I was like, oh, no, there's going to be a dumb music cue. And there wasn't. No. <laughs> it's good. Spielberg's not above using bad music cues. So. Well, yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think this is uh, one of his better films, and he doesn't do it here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right, is that I think that really puts a pin on it, mm -hmm. um, that this, this use of food is intentional as something that is designed or used as something to uh, signify people are coming together and that they are in the in-group and that people are not that are not dining there are in the out-group. And they, when they first meet the team, they joke that he's a leader because he can cook. Because he can cook. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even no. when he meets Golden Meyer too, she she gives him, she pours him like a cup of tea. And serves it to him. coffee. Right, inviting him into this secret society that they have. Um, that when Louis is first introduced, they're shopping for food, mm -hmm. right? And he he's, you know, he is bringing this food to his father. Yeah. Um, and, and, and starting to invite Eric Bana into that world. Use of food is really critical here, mm -hmm. I think. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting is the, the lighting. Uh, and the use of, of light in this film and the gradual uh, transition, or maybe not that gradual, relatively abrupt transition from a lot of dark and shadowed scenes to really cold, harsh lighting later on in the film. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you, you see it most clearly um, in the train station scene when Eric Bana and the toy maker are talking to one another when the toy maker is leaving for the last time. And you have a relatively low angle shot looking up at the two of them. They're in parallel and profile to one another. And there's a big glass window with a, a very cold white light coming down on them. Mm -hmm. To me, there's a lot of ways to light scenes. There's obviously a lot of ways to light scenes, right? And I think that if you look at the, um, the warm lighting, the warm and yellow lighting that they use when they're in the French countryside, contrasted with the lighting in that train station, what it suggests to me is, A, the judgment of God, literally looking down on them mm -hmm. and determining, judging them for what they're doing, but also a light of truth, but it is not a truth that is that feels good, right? It is a cold, a quite literally truth. a cold truth, a harsh truth, something that they have to confront that is unpleasant, but that they can't not see anymore because it is now bright, now it is lit. Um, and you, you see it at, at the end of the movie, too, when he's talking to the Jeffrey Rush character. It's lit very blue. Right? Yeah. You have this. You have this light that looks like it's cold outside. That suggests something that is unpleasant to be around, but nonetheless, you can't not see it anymore, right? And I think that that, that lighting, as opposed to, um, you look at the first assassination that was uh, indoors when they're fumbling with the guns and not sure what to do, and they finally shoot the guy. Lots of shadows, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of things that are hidden. You, they can't get a good look, look at the guy that they're trying to shoot. They're not sure if it's who they want. They're not sure what is going on around them. They can't find the gun. It's difficult to see, right? But that's when they're most confident, right, in who they're supposed to be killing, right? And I think that that, that use of light and shadow and especially blue, harsh, white lights contrasted mm -hmm. with hidden information and literally the hidden objects and people earlier in the film is pretty important as well. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't notice that as much in this, but I think Spielberg does a good job at shooting scenes, obviously. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's done it once or twice before. Yeah, but like, he makes everything seem so seamless. So. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of the genius of him, right? Is that yeah. you can sit on, you can, you can sit on and watch this as like a spy thriller. And it's still great. There's a lot of elements of like a heist yeah. movie. Yeah, they're getting the team they're together. Like, they're yeah, executing like, this plan. The team has like different roles. Mm -hmm. They have like an info guy. And, like yeah, they have the bomb maker. They have the leader. They have yeah, et yeah, cetera, et cetera. 
and they all have their each little each little personality quirks and stuff like that. This guy's an antiques dude. This guy's a toy maker. This guy is a soldier. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It totally just works as a straight up action spy thriller. It's bigger than that, and you get more out of it if you dig deeper than that. But if you don't want to, and that's fine, you can still like enjoy this movie a lot. And that's tough to pull off, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is tough to pull it off. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about uh, how they had interactions with um, some of their targets earlier on mm-hmm. in the movie, but that kind of fell away later on in the movie. Yeah. Like there was one where they just had a gigantic hit on this compound where three of the people were, um, it was, and they it never was the hijackers that like survived. Yeah. Was yeah. it? Okay. Is that in Beirut? That one? Yeah. 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 And yeah, they never the interact directly with Munich guys. So. Yeah. yeah, they never interact directly with their targets. They just shoot them. Yeah, right. But there is that one little bit where the young guy sees them killing everyone, and they let him go because he's too young and yep. innocent or whatever. But you know, yeah, he's creating more. Yeah, these little humanizing moments. One of the things that really that I thought was really effective about that is that it would have been easy. Or I think it would have been natural and still worked if Spielberg had just shown us that guy, shown Eric Bana getting in the way so that he isn't killed and then cut away. But you, he stays with it for a little bit longer. So you see the kid uh, start approaching the apartment and like realize that his parents are dead. Yeah. Right. And you just get like a second of that. And like that's a good directorial choice, a good editing choice that, again, is just another memorable moment. We let that sink in. Yeah. It. I, I wonder if the kid came back later in the movie because in their last attempted hit where they're trying to get Salame at oh, a yeah. party, uh, a guard, an armed guard spots them and starts yelling so they have to shoot the armed guard and then just get out because they can't g- get their target anymore. But the armed guard looked a lot like that boy. I'd miss that. You might be um, right. I'm not sure if it was the same person, um, but they looked a lot alike. Yeah, it was certainly a young person. Yeah, it was, right? it was a very young person. Right. Well, and that's another, even if it's not the same kid, Right, Eric Bana was refusing to shoot a shot before, and didn't want a shot here. Right, and apparently, he doesn't mention, like it, it doesn't seem to speci- that event doesn't seem to specifically affect him. Right, um, I mean they did talk about how at that point he'd become very soulless, and right, yeah. used to the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Any any closing thoughts on this film, Charles? Anything we haven't talked about? Um, not beyond what we've already talked about. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Very powerful movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it every time. I, I, I think it had been about three or four years since I last saw it uh, before this viewing, and I this is probably still my favorite viewing of it. I like this movie and get more out of it every time I watch it. Like, I think it is probably Spielberg's best work. Well, his some of his more challenging work, um, and yeah, just a really strong recommend uh, for me. I love this movie. Yeah, it's yeah. been ten years since I'd seen it, but yeah, it held up. It held up. It's. It's good. It's a good, like, three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this, it, it really, truly does not feel like three hours. So if you're intimidated by the length of it, you know, have dinner in between or something, it, it still works. It breaks up in episodes, but it feels much shorter than that, um, which is probably For why sure. I forgot it was that long. Uh, but in any event, uh, we will be back in a moment to talk about interesting things we have seen this week and announce the movie for next week. So stay tuned.
All right, we're back with things we've seen. And Crossman's going first. What's up? Uh, so I recently saw uh, Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, oh, okay. which is the Netflix-released Godzilla anime movie. Uh, it's a very strange film. It starts with the backstory of the film, which builds on a lot of like the existing Godzilla lore, which is interesting because if you look at the trailers, you wouldn't have expected it to like build on the Godzilla lore, but they, they bring in a lot of things from earlier Godzilla films, a lot of which are campy and bad. Really? <laughs> yeah. Godzilla is campy and bad sometimes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, Godzilla's never appeared in anime, which is interesting. Okay. Uh, but, it, you know, the two main things that we know about Japan are anime and Godzilla, mm -hmm. and here, here they are brought together Finally. in one media. <laughs> and uh, I, I like this film. I think it's, uh, it's a fun film. It's definitely not for everybody. Um, and it takes a little while to get going. And the early part of the film is very kooky because they're building up a lore that is very strange. Um, <laughs> so it's a post-apocalyptic movie. What's happened is there are these race. There's a race of uh, atomic supermen, alien aliens that have sort of helped humans like get off the Earth because the Earth is no longer livable because Godzilla has essentially consumed the earth and, <laughs> okay. like just destroyed you so know all he's, the he's galactus now <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh as a creature has destroyed all the cities and there are other sort of monsters that he's fought with so this is like building on the original godzilla lore earth is no longer livable because of this mm. so humans have been sort of helped off the planet by these aliens who don't particularly seem to be friendly to the humans but they do seem to be willing to like help them to get off planet um because they move through space time to get away from the earth many thousands of years have elapsed um but they're running out of resources and so they go back to the earth to test to see if it's still like a viable option if godzilla has disappeared spoilers yes godzilla did not <laughs> <laughs> well he's gone we're good did not disappear and the main crux of what appears to be the first episode of this arc okay uh is they have this like kind of landing team that has this plan to like fight and kill Godzilla. Um, I think Charles would like this. There's a lot of mechanical robots and it's, uh, it sounds uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, and uh, the one monster. Um, Wait, so is it a, is it a movie or is it a series? It's both. Um, oh my. So it's a movie, but there's going to be sequels. There's like at least two sequels okay. that are are planned, like MCU style. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's bizarre uh, thing, but it's kind of fun to watch. Okay. It's, uh, on, it's on the Netflix. Yeah. It's not like written in a compelling manner at all. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> like the characters are very throwaway, um, and a lot of them get killed. So like. You don't even have like so they're a connection to like yeah. stay with them. Um, the animation is weird too. It's a mix of like anime style, but there's also like 3D elements to it, and so it's not like an entirely flat anim uh, mm -hmm. anime movie. I think that would have served it better actually if it was in a more traditional like animated style. But they're using a lot of like 3D effects in this, and like yeah, I think Charles would like this film. Yep, and. You should watch it. 
It's also really easy to watch. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. So like right. it Welcome won't like take a huge bite out of your day. Yeah. It's more like um, a long TV episode. Than a right. It's a very special episode of whatever this is. But yeah, I think yeah. Uh, I, I, um, there's been a lot of weird uh, <laughs> Godzilla stuff recently. Uh, yeah, because there was the one that came out most, this came out, right? Shin Godzilla, yeah. which is like a weird like comedy making fun <laughs> of like the Japanese government that. more so than anything oh. else. Yeah, multiple uh, people have recommended it to me, including you. One of the strangest yeah. films I've seen yeah, is came Sh- out Shin Godzilla, which came out a couple years a year ago. ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah, That's a, the live action, most recent live action from the the Japanese film okay. studio. Um, and then the other thing that's kind of tying into Godzilla lore was the Kong movie that came out within the last year. Which I really liked from last that year. Ties to Godzilla in it. The yeah, one? yeah, they're gonna bring them together in, oh, man. in a future movie. They're gonna fight. Yeah, which okay. happened well, already. That happened in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, and I think there are actually two Kong versus Godzilla movies. So one of them can win each. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. in the previous one. So there's a lot of weird Godzilla media that's come out recently. Um, I like a lot of it. <laughs> I, re- I recommend it. Um, and this one. This one's no exception. This is like a hardcore sci-fi film, though. So if you're not into sci-fi, you probably won't like it. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So stay away from this one, Charles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I watched stuff, too, this week. Um, we, Cressman, you had mentioned last week that like January and February are good times to catch up on stuff that you had missed in the previous year. Yes. <laughs> Which I have did this week. I watched um, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, uh, which is a movie. That one. Yeah, it's a movie that came out in October of 2017 that I had missed in theaters and I've been waiting for it to start streaming and for some reason it took forever to actually do that. Um, And it came out a couple weeks ago, I think, so I finally uh, rented it on Amazon. Um, It hits on three things that I like a lot. Uh, Period pieces, comic books, and uh, Rebecca Hall is in this movie, which Mm -hmm. was enough to sell me. Uh, It's a flawed movie. It has a lot of the problems that a lot of period pieces and biopics have in that they're trying to fit a lot of a person's life into a small space and people's lives aren't narratives and usually it's better if you just like pick a period in somebody's life that it's mm-hmm. easier to construct a narrative out of but despite that um, I still thought it was an effective movie insofar as it was a relatively large bu- budget mainstream depiction of polyamory mm-hmm. um, it's so the lead character uh, or characters um, we have the William Marston, who was a professor at Harvard in the psychology department, uh, failed writer, a then fired professor, and then a very successful comic book writer because he <laughs> ends up uh, writing Wonder Woman. He enters into a polyamorous relationship with his wife and one of the students that he meets, and it is depicted as something that is not exclusively erotic that is complex in the way that relationships are complex. Everybody has relationships both with the, with the group and with each other. So it, it, it is depicted as something serious and substantial and real and complicated in the same way that any kind of rom- romantic entanglement would be. Um, it is also a serious depiction of BDSM, uh, the early women comics. I mean, it's, it's no coincidence that her one of her tools is the lasso of truth and that that is a rope and that it is used to tie people up the <laughs> the people in that wrote the comics the professor marston with the help of his partners were into uh 
this some kinky shit, and it showed up in his <laughs> comics, and he got in trouble for it, and he was interviewed. And that's that's the framing device in the film is that he's being interviewed by the board that regulates the comics because of all of the, you know, crazy feminism and and kinky sex that shows up in the in the early Wonder Woman comics, and it is there. Um, so just seeing that depicted in a historical context, um, and also seeing it depicted in a serious way, a non you know Fifty Shades of Grey way, in a big budget movie was compelling and interesting. Um, it's not a flawless film. Like it, it like I mentioned earlier, it fits into many of like the Wiki, Wikipedia style problems where you're just yeah. like reciting a person's life on film. Um, but I think it's still just a solid B B plus and and worth seeing for the depictions of things that we don't normally see in a serious way in movies. Uh, so I liked it. Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. Have there been other depictions of polyamorous relationships in movies? I don't feel like I ever hear about that. Nah. No. I'm, I'm sure there have. Right? I'm sure. Of, of course there's there a lot have. of movies right. out there. Yeah, there's a lot of movies. I can't, nothing springs to mind, uh, but I also haven't really looked very hard. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure they're out there. Uh, I, but just that. There was some terrible action movie from the odds where the main characters were. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's just like, I think you could yeah. probably find many examples where it's treated as some something that is just like thrilling and erotic and like, that's it. Right mm-hmm. and and not depicted as a as a relationship, yeah. and this one is this one is depicted as a relationship because the the William Marston character both in the movie and in real life dies of cancer at a pretty young age. The the wife and the student that are in the relationship continue being to, living together and continue their relationship until they both die in their eighties, right? So it's it's shown as something that's real, right, and mm-hmm. something that that is legitimate. Um, and so I'm sure other films have depicted that. I don't know what they are. That's um, yeah. I, I said this one criticism about the Wonder Woman most recent movie too that like it would have been a more interesting movie if they brought in oh yeah some of the elements that are there yeah like obviously yeah and this one, and I mean she has like a love scene with the like main dude in the film yeah Chris one of the Chris's yeah yeah and it would have been interesting or funny to see him kind of kick the shit out of that <laughs> character. Right. And, and, <laughs> and more in line with you know, the Wonder Woman of the 40s and 50s. Yeah. And yeah. she, the, her character like falls in love with this guy and then is still like thinking about him yeah. so many years later, even yeah. though they have like this one night together. It's like, <laughs> what a terrible message. Like, this is just some loser. Like, like get over this guy, <laughs> like, yeah, like, it, yeah. So this was the third Wonder Woman movie that came out last year. Yeah, um, I don't. It might be the best one. It's certainly better than Justice League. Uh, yeah, but I like. Well, well. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, I like. There are commercials that are better than the Justice League. So. <laughs> yeah, they're shorter. Yeah, the trailer for Justice League is better than Justice League. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked Wonder Woman, the the Gal Gadot one more than you did. Um, but I, I liked this movie too. Uh, it takes a while to get to the comics. Right, because the the actual Professor Marston didn't mm-hmm. start writing the comics until relatively late late in his life, um, and it it feels like this movie that was much more interested in the development of this relationship, and that's when it's most interesting. Yep. You, you can tell that the the filmmakers and the actors are most most compelled and most moved by that. Yeah, and so it feels like a movie where the comic books are almost incidental, and that they have they and they come up with a solution to that kind of by like weaving it in and like calling back to or calling forward to the comics during the, the earlier uh, portions of the film but I think it ultimately harms the film and it might have been better if we had just focused on this earlier part of their life that clearly the film itself was more interested in mm-hmm. um, but it, despite that flaw um, I, I, I still think it's a, a, a solid movie and, and 
uh, worth checking out. Yeah, I think that's emblematic of like most comic book films. Like the issue that I spoke to earlier is yeah. emblematic of like most comic book films that they gloss over like what is subversive about the characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Wonder Woman movie is like no exception. Like yeah. it, it's, you know, it's a whatever popcorn movie. It's better than most. <laughs> it was better than most. But like, but that's like not hard. Most comic book movies are horrible. Oh, you're so much more down on them than I am. I, 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 I like. I, I feel like. I I'm mean, like, they're better than video game movies. But that's like, true. Yeah. Yes, that's that not saying much. But yeah, but like they'd be so much more interesting if what's truly subversive about them is like kept in the films. Yeah. And, you know, just. Yeah, I'm, that's part of the reason I'm looking forward to Black Panther. I, yeah, I but I bet will that, they go there? I bet they're going to gloss over Maybe. a lot of because what's interesting about Black Panther is that like when he teams up with the other Marvel characters, he's not doing it out of friendship. Yeah. He's like very he's spying on them. He's spying on them because he yeah. knows that like they all represent like imperial yeah. forces, and like that's a very subversive thing. And yeah. so it'll be interesting to see if like that's brought into the movie. Um, but I think mm-hmm. pe- the it's difficult with these movies because people are so excited for them, and it's I'm and, excited. <laughs> and, but it's so it's difficult to talk about like what's problematic about them. I think there's a lot of issues with the Wonder Woman movie, and this is one of them. So, yeah, well, I, and yeah. part of the like the the notion of superheroes in the first place that that it's a a, a naturally conservative idea just right off the top, right? That it's baked into in the, most cases. Yeah. It's baked into the material. Right, yeah. that you have this one great person that's going to come along and fix problems, mm-hmm. and you can rely on. And them. you just punch the problems harder. Right, like, right, like yeah. that. That is so, so much dyed in the wool in in comics. That yes, there is plenty of space to subvert those ideas. Um, and you look at Watchmen, and I think you can see that happening. But there's also it's much easier to default to not subverting those ideas. And even if you're not explicitly supporting them, when you're not doing something to counteract them, the support is kind of there by accident almost yeah yeah charles what'd you say all right so technically i didn't see anything this week but a little Just, bit ago metrograph <laughs> you can literally live you, you nobody's yeah. gonna know yeah. <laughs> still they're gonna look up the metrograph i, I want to uh, yeah, yeah. You, you can look it up right yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little bit watch? ago the metrograph was showing vanishing point which is a movie i've wanted to see for a very long time as a car enthusiast um because it's very often brought up um in those like upper echelons of classic car <laughs> iconic car movies I always see it's references. It's one of the, like, the car chase movies, like French Connection yeah. and, and Bullet. Driver Bullet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you know you always Driver see that iconic now. white Dodge Challenger referenced uh, all over the place. And um, I mean, it's a car movie. It's kind of <laughs> what you expect for that, right? Like I remember watching Bullet, uh, and the car chase scene in that one is a plus. It is incredible. It is like a marvel of cinema. But the rest of the movie is just nothing. Like, I don't remember any of the rest of Bullet besides that, right? And so Vanishing Point kind of has that same problem where the car scenes are incredible. That's some of the best automotive cinematography I've seen in any movie. Uh, the scenes of the car driving and, like, avoiding the police, they're, they're beautiful, they're thrilling, they're very well done, there's some cool stunts. Um, it's fantastic. But the movie around it was a little weird, and there's just not a whole lot to it. So the plot of it is that one guy is a car delivery man and the some implications that he's involved in running drugs or at least is a drug addict. Mm-hmm. And he takes up a job to bring this white Dodge Challenger across the nation uh, from like Chicago to San Francisco or something like that. And 
for some reason, he is like hungry for drugs and bets to his drug dealer that he can make it to San Francisco in like two days, which wait, is wait, clearly where? from like Chicago to, Chicago San, Francisco to San Francisco in like two days, two days. Okay. which is like clearly an impossible feat. And he tries anyway. He makes this bet, and he's like, "I'm going to call you from San Francisco Saturday at noon. Um, okay. and I bet you that this is going to happen." <laughs> See, that's and a great so, hook. <laughs> right? It's 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 an interesting premise to start off with, and he like just tears off down the highway, uh, and obviously immediately attracts the attention of the police because he's speeding <laughs> like a madman. And so there's some awesome scenes where he's dodging the police, and he gains the attention of uh, some radio station who, which is run by a blind black dude. Uh, who starts re like recounting his um, his exploits, dodging the police, and he gets heralded as some sort of like uh, hometown hero or like people's hero for like you know speeding Speedy. across <laughs> the country and like you know messing with the police. Okay, you haven't seen the Warriors, right? I have not. There's a similar plot aspect in the Warriors where okay. the, there's a That's DJ right. that like intersects different scenes that. Is yeah. giving people updates on the warriors. Okay, yeah, that's exactly yeah. what happens here. Um, but the problem is, after the first few bits of dodging the police, he kind of gets lost in the desert for a little while. It's bad for And it's race. supposed to be this kind of like spiritual, like soul searching thing. But instead, it's just kind of weird and boring, and nothing really happens. And he's not dodging the police anymore. He's just kind of <laughs> driving around, and he like finds an old guy who like helps him dodge a police helicopter, and he. Yeah, he gets fuel to leave. Uh, I don't know. Um, what, what was he? What was he going to win? Sounds it? great. Yeah, from your description. Yeah, like your description. I'm like, sold. Yeah, <laughs> right. But like, it, it, I really want to see. This. There's some <laughs> yeah. awesome police car, like police chase scenes, and then it kind of feels like it drags towards the end. Um, and it's like two thirds of the movie where he's not dodging police anymore, and like nothing is. Kind of nothing is happening. Wait, uh, what does he win if he gets to San Francisco? I don't remember what the bet was. A bunch of drugs? Yeah, maybe. I don't okay. remember what the bet was. He just said, I'm going to make it there on time or whatever. Yeah. And you can tell the whole time he's clearly not on pace to make it on time. <laughs> uh, but the police actions start to ramp up and get more and more severe. Um, it's kind of like a Grand Theft Auto movie, I guess. There you go. Um, but, yeah. Um, it's, is it worth seeing? Like, should people go and watch it? I think if you're into cars, it's worth seeing. Okay. Also, I felt like the ending was weirdly abrupt and very disappointing. I don't know if I want to spoil the ending for people, even though it's like a 40-year-old movie, but <laughs> it was very weird and disappointing, and it didn't feel like it really sold. I, I don't know if the character really learned anything. He, it just seemed like he had kind of given up. Did he get to San Francisco? No. Oh, okay. No. no. Bummer. <laughs> but it, it was strange and abrupt, and it felt, it just didn't feel right. What, what's your favorite car movie? Favorite car movie, man. Justin, do you have a favorite car movie? It's hard to pick one. Uh, yeah, I like Drive a lot. Drive's really good. Yeah. I, I, like I don't know if Drive feels like a car movie, though. Drive's a car it's movie. It so is. Drive. It's called Drive. <laughs> it's called yeah, but like <laughs> the dude's a driver. It's too much non-car stuff. Oh, whatever. Drive it. There's very there's, little. There's no possible stuff. argument yeah. for driving. There's very little car stuff. No, what, they, he like hangs out. He drives around and he hangs out in like a garage. Yeah, but like you know, <laughs> he's a stunt it's car not about driver. the car. <laughs> stunt car it's about the people. Well, the, right? that's the car movie's got to be about the car. My favorite I, Drive is high on my list. My favorite car movie is Rush. Fucking love Rush. Rush was great. Rush, Rush is, is fantastic. Great. I didn't think about this. It's hard to pick one. It'd probably be ones. like a fast. Have you seen series. The Driver? 
I have not seen The Driver. The Driver's good, but nobody's else has seen it. You can only watch it on DVD. It's one of the reasons I have a DVD player, because I <laughs> wanted to watch that and Sorcerer, and they're only available on DVD. I think Rebecca is like that, too, which is a bummer. Is uh, only available on DVD. Is like, that a car movie? No, it's another movie that's only available on DVD. Oh, no, I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking of... of. Uh, <laughs> no, there's a Stephen King car movie. Oh, yeah, with The Haunted Car. Yeah, The Haunted Car. I forgot what I forget, Yeah, I forgot what it's called, but it's a woman's name. Oh, okay. It's like oh, Christine know, or I something. That, that might be it. That might be it. Yeah, somebody out there knows it. If you know the name of the That book car is movie. terrifying. The book is? Uh, yeah, it's terrifying. Okay. If you're walking alone at night, you're like, the car's going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> that one's on it. When you hear a car like off in the distance, you're like, ah. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I might just have to pick, like, what was it like? Fast the, and the Furious. Fast and the Furious movie where they have like the freeway chase with the tank. That's I, I five. Think. Was that five? It might have been It's six. five or six, yeah. I think six. it was probably six, but... What, one of the late... Oh, that's not the Brazil one. I think that's six. Yeah. <laughs> the Brazil one's great. That's yeah, one of the so, greatest things like I've ever seen put to film is that chase yeah, through Rio. Yeah, I, I, which I, is real, by the way. Wait, what? The chase through Rio. Oh. It was done mostly real. Like, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I love those movies because they celebrate the cars and they have fantastic imaginative action. I, I go to the movie to see these, like, relatively mindless action movies to see a spectacle. Yeah. Right? I want to see something that wows me that I haven't seen before that feels imaginative. And it feels like since 5, every Fast and the Furious movie has ramped it up and done a lot of these really awesome scenes. And since they've had so many of these movies, you know, they have enough time to develop these characters right. enough that you care about them, that it matters. Um, there's just enough there that, that you know, it's not just the cars, that there's enough around the cars that uh, you kind of care about what's happening to the cars. <laughs> That's a funny way of describing it. But yeah, I, I go for those set piece action scenes and that franchise always delivers for that. I, I do feel like the first few were maybe a little more boring. Yeah, they're feeling it out. Um, I liked Too Fast, Too Furious a lot when I was in middle school. Um, I like it inspired me to make like a cheesy animated film you, when I was doing wait, flash you still animation. Have it? Like, yeah, it's on YouTube. Oh, okay, we're gonna find. This it's pretty bad, but we're find this it was and, fun. And link it um, so everyone can see. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I've outed myself here okay. as a filmmaker. I guess. Yeah, no, we definitely. Um, need to find but this. it inspired me there a lot. Uh, I watched it a bunch when I was in middle school. I like it less now, but I like the recent ones because they have the bonkers, off the wall action that's super fun. Yeah, is Fury Road a car movie? Kinda. Yeah, if Fury Road's a car movie, that's my favorite. Rush is okay. number two, but Fury Road. Yeah, I, yeah. I love Fury Road. Everybody does. Fantastic. Really great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, immediate classic. Yes. What are we going to watch next week, Crossman? Uh, so I would like to go back to the '90s and watch uh, *LA Confidential*. Yes, it's a oh. great movie. More noir. I forget if it's the best picture. I'll have to do research between now and then. I'm sure it got a lot of nominations it at did. the time. It definitely did. *LA Confidential* is a really fucking good movie. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was waffling between yeah. this, this, and *Untouchables*, and I landed on *LA Confidential*. I think you chose correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, those are both good, but I think this is a better movie. You guys really love your noir films, huh? Yeah, this is another one. This is like a modern noir. and like, Well, I guess we'll talk about it. So join us yeah. next week for yeah. uh, LA Confidential. Uh, thanks for listening.